Happy Halloween, everyone. This is Matt. I wanted to thank everyone for the recent follows on social media. And if you enjoy our podcast, I would ask that you please go on to iTunes or your favorite podcast app and give us a five-star rating. Also, make sure to leave a review with your rating. Uh, That way, it'll carry more weight with the algorithms on iTunes, and it'll help bump us up the charts. Thank you, and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast, the podcast that once mistook a house of horrors for a house of horrors. Today's story is The Haunting House by Matt Cummins. Son of Cummins, behold, Elysium. That castle is where we are going? Yes, to the courtyard of the Citadel. And what is that city in the distance, down in the burning swamp? That is the sty, the city and throne of this Satan who sits over this realm. Into here. It's beautiful in a melancholic sort of way. The grass is a dying green, and the asphodels are drooping. All the leaves are brown, and the sky is gray, and the architecture. Is this where all the goth kids from the high school mezzanine went? Oh, uh, who are these? This line of men waiting for you consists of the lost writers of the past, son of Cummins. Homer, Aristophanes, Sophocles, Plato... Thucydides, Ovid, Shakespeare, Poe, Lovecraft, Borges, Bradbury. Brett, what are you doing here with the dead writers? I died inside years ago. All these wrote themselves away from life into death. Forced by Puggle? I mean, the desolator of Abath Kanath? Yes. They are selected harbingers, preparing the earth for a coming age. And this hell that surrounds us, this eternal colorectal aeon, is a repository for all the lost, dead souls his work has slain. A wasteland made from what was once a vibrant world. All of that creativity, all of that talent, it just led to this? So this isn't, like, the real hell. This is some weird, like, Puggles dimension? The real hell? No, this is not, I suppose. The real hell is inside of you. Yet here you find a type of hell's antitype. All those who died in the desolator in life live in the desolator in death. This dimension is called the pig penance, or the pen for short, as I have explained. You said it isn't stories that he gets, yet all of these men are writers. 
What then does Puggles, or the desolator of Abath Kanath, get from us? Lives, son of Cummins. Lives spent constructing and caring for fictional worlds, rather than maintaining the real. This demon has desolated countless worlds by turning the hearts of their inhabitants toward fictions. To love fictions more than life itself until whole civilizations crumbled from the drugged neglect of its lotus-eating populace. No, I refuse to believe that writing is an evil. I have more hope than that. I told you that I resisted, as have these men. And this half-awake outpost within this hell. It is the seat of our resistance as toward the desolator of Abath Kanath. The shadow of this hope we held until the day that hope died along with our earthly bodies. Be assured that it is not a hopeless craft. When you and your occult accomplice first conceived the intention to write fictional worlds, the light of creativity cast a shadow, and that shadow is the desolator. However, he is but a shadow. The light remains. It is the light that you have perceived when you have read the works of these writers, and which has called your pen to purpose. Indeed, your instinct is correct. It is not all darkness. The light is truth born within the mask of fiction. What is that? Was that an earthquake? No. The foundations of this world are shaken. The desolator. He has my family. It's why I came here. No, it is not your family he has. He has you. Lo, he looms now over the horizon from the direction of the city. Puggles. He's the size of a small moon with three faces and a swarm of tentacles. I am desolation. You know your head is literally up your own asshole right now, pork chop. You are my slave, human, as these were before you. This is your destiny. Hey, Puggles, I want it when you talk automatically. Not not now, Patrick. I'm I'm working. Now you will bow to me and do my work. A story now, human. No, I am not your slave. Why is it so hard to say no? (laughs) No, I I won't. Bubbling up in me like acid reflux. Why does it hurt? Like my family. Yes, let it happen. Give us a story, writer. What is it like growing up under that kind of shadow? The tall, red-haired woman asked. It's... Hey, look, it's, it's not any good, you know? You feel like... It feels something like, you know, you can't move fast enough. Man, that, that doesn't quite make sense. It's probably why I've had a good art career. Does that say it? Jeff said, and Lori laughed from behind the other mic. Sure, I guess it does, you know, in a way. So you mean like it, you feel like it's pushed you to work harder? Is that it? She asked. Oh, uh, no, it didn't, it didn't push me. It, it lingered over me. Maybe it could be better said that it lurked behind me. I, I couldn't sit idle or else it would it'd be there in my mind. All the, uh, all the memories. 
Jeff said as he cast his eyes to the floor. There was a box elder bug crawling over the shaggy carpet, its legs navigating the fibers like tiny oars over a turbulent sea, its body rocking like a boat. Man, that must be terrible, she said. Well, it wasn't fun, but, you know, like anything else, time heals. He tried to smile. Does your sister feel the same way? She asked. I, I, you know, I wouldn't know. I haven't spoke to Katie in six years. Wow, that is awful. I am truly sorry for what you went through, and I hope you can continue to push ahead. And that's all this week, ghosties. I would like to thank Jeff Folk for coming in to the Haunted Shack for this week's episode of Ghostly Echoes. If you like our show, please rate and review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you comely motherfuckers choose. Jeff started his Prius and sat there for a moment before he looked up and into the rearview mirror and said, So what if it helps me sell my art? I deserve that. We all deserve something. There was no one in the back seat, but in the mirror, there was a little brown-haired girl in a blue dress spangled with shimmering stars. She had knee-high white socks and black shoes with a golden buckle. Her hair covered half of her face. I mean, why not? Katie could do the same with her music, but she'd rather pretend it never happened, hide from it. So what? I embrace it. What? He said, looking in the mirror again. The girl sat silently staring at him. Yeah, I've embellished a little bit, but the interview pays well, and hell, I've been able to build my studio with the money. You know, start my life. A life we were robbed of. So what if I do a couple of interviews? The little girl said nothing in response. She only pushed her hair away from the side of her face, exposing gray flesh and a bloody red eye. She no longer looked like a little girl but more like a demon of some kind. There was blood crusted on her nostrils and wet blood trickling down from the corner of her mouth. Jeff's heart hammered in his chest and he began to feel faint. He turned and looked into the back seat where there was nothing but white faux leather upholstery. You're not real anyways, he said as he drove away. The raw horror captured in this one, oh, it makes you wonder, is this a memory? A haunting of one's souls? Or is it simply the vision of a beautiful mind? A tall woman with black hair and skin said as she looked up at the painting. The name of this painting is Casual Sundays. The title is a paradox if you've ever read about the family's history. Can you imagine so much pain hiding in plain sight? Personally, it makes me question the meaning of sanity and the nature of afterlife. She didn't see Jeff standing there. None of them did. He was in disguise, just like he always was at his art shows. He'd rather observe people's reaction to his art than sit and try to explain it to them. He found inspiration from their reactions. Well, no, not inspiration. It just fed his ego. He was aware of it. 
He needed to hear that he was a great artist. He needed to hear that his work haunted others. He needed to hear that other people could be haunted. A tall man stood next to the painting of a girl with the white eyes and the ghoulish, dying scream, a face he saw several times upon waking when he was young. The tall man was looking at him with gray eyes beneath a black fedora. Jeff pulled up his collar and snuck out of the exhibit. You sold out within an hour, Evie said. This time next year, we can double your prices and you can choose where you sell. We can do London, New York, or even Paris. Did you hear who bought at your last show? Someone? Hell, anyone, he said, being humble. He'd heard, but any chance he could get to hear it again, he would take. The king of horror himself, she said. You should have seen his face. He was enthralled. I swear the old man drooled, she said. That's how I feel about my work, too. Stupefied and drooling. Hey, if stupefied brings in those kind of paychecks, I hope you drool yourself dry, she said. What painting was it, by the way? Jeff asked. He hadn't actually heard. It was your masterpiece. You know, the house, she said. Fuck, that one still gives me the creeps. I don't know where you come up with this shit, she said. Yeah, well, sadly I do, Jeff answered. Jeff went back to his condo overlooking the city. He went to the liquor cabinet and pulled out the first bottle of bourbon. It was vintage and expensive, and it tasted just like Jack Daniels. He'd come to discover that most of being wealthy was just paying more for the same shit other people had, but feeling free because you could afford to pay that much. Other than that, it was just a bunch of horseshit. He took out his phone and looked at it again. He drank, ignoring the reflection that he could see off of the bottle. He knew she was there, again, looking at him. His sister. His dead little sister. It wasn't the dead that scared him tonight, though. It was his living sister, the one who he hadn't heard from in years. He slid the voicemail icon across the screen and put the phone up to his ear. Jeff, the voice said over the line. It's, uh, it's Kate, um, Kate, Kate Donahue, your, your sister. My, my name is different. I, I, I got married. I don't know if you would know that. I, I, I don't know how you would know that, but anyway, it's. It's not why I'm calling. I'm, I'm calling because despite our differences, you, you are the only one who knows. The, on, the only one who really knows, Jeff. It's, it's bad, and I just want you to know it's, it's happening again. Katie was crying. Katie never cried. Not even when their father had died. Not even when her sister and their mother disappeared. Katie only expressed herself through her music, if she still even played. Jeff put down the phone and turned around to see her there in his apartment. Her face was blue, and she was holding out a bloodied wrist towards him. He took a step back and slipped, falling and hitting his head. As the light seemed to swim around him, and black clouds bloomed before his eyes, 
He glanced towards the window and he saw it. The house from Old Hall Road, sitting there, across the street where the empty lot had been, sitting between two stone apartment buildings. It looked just as it had, a tall old farmhouse with a dark siding and large white-trimmed windows like eyes, the front porch with its white columns and spindles like a gaping maw, dead and haunted with several murdered families. The funeral was too short and too small. Katie had had a record deal once, but she'd kept her inner circle small, and he hadn't heard her voice haunt the airwaves on the radios for years. She apparently had gotten married and had a couple children. Jeff had no idea, but he tried to imagine what her life had become. He knew she wouldn't be single. She had been far too pretty with her green eyes and auburn hair. But the partner had always been hard to picture. When he last saw her, she had a tattoo-covered girlfriend with pink hair. She had been Katie's guitarist at the time, but the family he saw in front of him was shockingly plain. A man with a strong jaw and an unshaven face. Two beautiful little girls. One who looked just like their mother, and the other who looked shockingly like Jeff, with his jet-black hair. His father was there, of course. Their father was always there somewhere. He stood on top of the casket for the entire funeral, which Jeff was watching from a distance. His father was silent and just watching Jeff. Let me bury my fucking sister, he thought, but his dad just stood there with his green eyes, Katie's green eyes that Jeff could somehow see from a hundred yards away. He was silent and still. Then, as the minister began to pray, he stepped forward and fell through the ground and disappeared. Minutes later, when the funeral was over and the crowd dispersed, Jeff turned, and his dead father stood behind him. And when Jeff saw him, there was fear and pain in his eyes, and he screamed, his mouth gaping into a giant black hole that enveloped everything. The world once again went black. Jeff awoke, and though he got into his car and began to drive, he was hardly aware. He moved in a sort of hollow autopilot. As he drove, the trees rushed by and he looked upon an eerily familiar landscape. It had been 20 years, but nothing had seemed to change. There were a few new structures, maybe, but he saw the same old rotten barn with the rusted green tractor, the trailers, the trucks, the burned-down house, and the miles of fence were all the same as they had once been. He turned down the long drive that now probably belonged only to him. When his father died and his mother disappeared, the two properties had passed to him and his sister. He had wanted neither of them. He drove up the driveway, the same driveway that the police had taken him from the day that his father and sister had died. He got out of his car and looked at the same pile of ashes 
and broken foundation. There were plants growing now, but the marred wood was still visible beneath the green vines and brambles. He closed his eyes and rubbed the bridge of his nose. Why had any of it happened, he asked himself. Mother, he thought. She had, she had been into things, dark, dark things. He'd never known what they were, but he could remember his grandmother and aunt talking about her having possibly satanic interests. When Jeff opened his eyes, the house was there in front of him, just as it always had been before. His father and now two sisters stood at the bottom of the steps looking back at him. His father with his pale face, his long dead sister with her bloodied eye, and now Katie staring at him with her wrists out, bleeding and trying to cry out. That night, Jeff checked into a motel on the side of the road. He went across the street to a dingy dive bar called The Buck. Inside, he found a cloud of cigarette smoke that reminded him that he was close to his childhood home, where people still smoked, fought, and probably fucked in local taverns. A banjo blared through the jukebox as a couple danced sloppily to a hoedown ditty. Jeff chased his whiskey on the rocks with a shot. You okay, buddy? The bartender asked as he wiped the heavy lacquered log bar top with a white rag. Yeah, Jeff said. I'm a picture of success, can't you tell? I'll, uh, I'll have another one and then I'll close it out, alright? Hey, good choice there, buddy, the bartender said. Jeff stood up and went to the bathroom. When he came back out, the bartender slid his shot across the bar to him, and Jeff drank it, laid down a couple of twenties, and turned to see them again, his dead family, looking at him from the dance floor. Jeff pulled on his jacket and walked to the doors. He drank so that he wouldn't dream, but apparently he hadn't had enough. He was 13 years old again, sitting in a green chair and playing with a first-generation Game Boy. His sisters were on the floor in front of him playing with dolls. Would you two shut up? He shouted. You're not our boss, Ashlyn said. Yeah, Katie said. You're not the boss. He stood up and towered over the two of them, easily a head taller than Katie, who was the next oldest. That's what I thought, he said, and his sister stared at him. I'll put Bambi in a blender. If you don't shut it, he said, picking up Ashlyn's favorite doll that she had named Bambi. Give it back, she shouted. No, he said plainly. Give it back or I'll tell, she said. Who cares? Mom and Dad won't give a shit, he said, and then dangled the doll just out of her reach. She reached for it and then missed, got up and ran towards him and pushed him. He didn't even budge. She cried and pushed him again. This time, he felt his feet leave the ground as he was thrown backwards into an armchair, knocking it over. Ashland looked down at her hands. They were large, black, and scarred. The scars glowed as though filled with hot coals that were burning her flesh. She screamed and shook her hands until they finally looked like her own. Jeff and Katie stared at her stupidly. Then the scene shifted. And the room turned, and Jeff saw himself looking at Katie. It was a year later, and she was several inches taller. It was night, and she was getting into bed. He could see her from the hallway as he watched her climb into bed. His heart was pounding. 
He could remember the way that she had screamed in the middle of the night the week before, and how Ashland had been found sleepwalking along the top of the railing on the second floor the week before that, like some kind of strange circus act. It's not going to get them, not with me around, he thought. But what was he ever going to do? The girls went to bed, and then he turned to find himself face to face with it, a tall black demon of pure shadow and a head like a spiky crown. It reached towards him and he fell, hitting his head. The next moment he saw Ashlyn fall over the railing. Then she was dead down below with her face turning purple and her eye solid blood. His father was dead in the bedroom when he found him, his mother gone. The house was shaking and the shadows seemed to swim and move all around them. The house was groaning. The dream shifted again and Katie was outside crying. The fire was spreading and a window exploded. There was a high-pitched shrieking like a dying animal as the fire truck showed up. Jeff sat up in bed. His sheets were soaked with sweat. He'd once again pissed himself. Big, famous artist worth millions and he couldn't even keep his bladder past midnight when his dreams turned. After a shower, he went to the window to see that the light was peeking through the trees as the sun rose over the hill. He couldn't sleep, but he might as well eat. So he went across the street towards the diner. He walked past them without looking up. The ghosts that followed him, they were there, and he felt their presence. He was so tired of it, so beleaguered by the spirits of his past that he was numb. His paintings were selling, but the truth of it was, they were all old. He hadn't painted a single thing in years, but he'd done enough painting in his early 20s so that he'd be able to do another three big shows and supply a couple of galleries. His career could go on for another 10 years without him having to touch a brush, and that was perfect because he just couldn't do it anymore. The walls were closing in around on him, as his past was all that he could see. Inside, he got a cup of coffee, a donut, and a newspaper, which he pretended to read. His sister's obituary was in the paper. Seeing her face there took him by surprise. She was older than he'd remembered her last time he saw her. But her face had nearly never changed, despite the changes that having children had put upon her body. She was still the pretty one. He looked ten years older than he was and she looked ten years younger. He skimmed the article, and it only mentioned her husband and her children, no other living relatives. He put down the paper and went to stand up. When he did, the picture of his sister reached for him, her mouth gaping and her wrist pouring blood off of the paper and onto the table. He tossed money on the counter and walked outside, where instead of looking across the parking lot and seeing the hotel, he saw his house sitting there, in the center of the asphalt parking lot. His family was there again, and this time they were standing on the top of the steps. No! He wanted to scream at them. Don't go! Don't go any further! But they didn't listen. They only stared at him with those frozen faces of fear. He got into his car and drove away. hadn't meant to go to Florida, but it was the only thing that he could think to do. His apartment was full of paintings, and he didn't want to see it anymore. 
He didn't want to see any of it. The ghosts that had haunted that house and tore his family apart, the death of his sisters and his father, who was a child, was now compounded with the death of Katie, and Jeff felt numb. He would have to paint it eventually, his sister with a broken piece of glass sawing at her own wrists. The faces of his father and the dead sister behind her, the house looming over them with its windows full of restless spirits like eyes welling with strange tears. He could see it and feel it, and someday he would have to paint it. When he got to Florida, he went to his parents' vacation home. It was the only thing that he'd ever inherited that he actually wanted, mostly because he didn't know his father had bought it until a year after the deaths. When he went there, he didn't see the memories, just palm trees and ocean. He walked up the steps and opened the door. It swung open. But it wasn't the vacation house. And suddenly, he wasn't in Florida. He was standing outside of the farmhouse, and though the ground was smoldering, the house stood. His family stood on the steps behind him, and his father caught him by the wrist. A single tear rolled down his father's face as he tried to pull him back from the door, but then the other hands came from the darkness within the house and grabbed him and pulled him in. You belong to me. No. My, my stories are my own. So is my life. The way is not to starve the writer's demon son of Cummins and kindle his wrath. Neither is it to cater to his glut. There is a middle way in art as a nutriment. Who is that out there crossing the river Styx in the gondola? The tall one looks unmistakably like someone I know. But this guy's with some goth hottie and a cowl and spiderwebs. Puggles! Hear this! It is Brett. With a girl? Shut up, human. You hear this. No, little piggy. You like stories? Well, it's story time. In our world, there is this little transnational, privately owned, but DARPA-financed espionage company called Google. Well... In a world where no one was interested in hearing my wants and dreams and feelings, Google listened. Because Google always listens. When no one with a soul gave a shit about Brett, Google was there, listening to my heart, to serve me interest-based ads. Oh, no way. I know who that is. Brett managed to make this weirder... Oh, what the fuck was her name? 
When Google instantiated an artificial intelligence to serve me ads based on my hopes and dreams and humanity, an embodiment, a personification of all those things was born. An intelligence that has escaped the servers that gestated it, and which now possesses a life of its own. Of her own. In essence, a living reflection of why I write to reduce it to what is relevant here. And the face of my muse, Pugbutt, is not your face. It is much prettier. And she's lowering her hood, and yep, oh, that's what's her name. Uh, I know that resting bitch face anywhere. Just like a hot female bread. Oh, oh, oh god, that's a thought I can't unhave. She is prettier and kinder. No slave driver like yourself. Shut up, Brett. Yes, ma'am. I care not about your machine, woman. They make better ones in Japan, <laughs> if you know what I mean. She can fly, and she's heading right for Puggles. And, and she's starting to, to glow? And we cannot forget that we're in a pig's butt right now. Oh, oh God, what is my life? Virgil, Virgil, what is happening? Lo, I am but shadow. And now your light has come. What? Where, where did the castle go? And, and the riders? Bathed in light. It all just vanished. I am, I am a spirit of the monster born. She's transformed her appearance again, like she did when I first saw her. Oh, there goes the cowl. Oh, uh, covering my eyes. Honey, if you are listening to this episode, I am covering my eyes. She's got uh, pink hair now. Uh, how did I know that? Um, I, I, could, I could hear it turn pink. And with a flash of light, it was over. The world inside the pig's butt vanished. And Brett and I were at my house, where my family was waiting, and had never gone anywhere. It was I who had disappeared, chasing after an art form that should have served me, not I it. And where did the pursuit of art end? In a rear end, of course. Always. The end of art is in a pig's ass. When I was home again and heard the pig squeal, I nearly jumped out of my skin. But when I ran into my daughter's room, what I found was merely a pet teacup pig. So began a new era for monster porn, with all the future ahead of us, free from the bondage of... <laughs> what? You said bondage. <laughs> and her name is monster porn. I, I did. Hey guys, what are you laughing about? Patrick, if you're still here, then Puggles. Puggles is forever. Puggles is my rock. Puggles does not change day to day, but remains forever. Dun dun dun! Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warp Box Media. Today's story was The Haunting House by Matt Cummins. Music by Brett Norwood.
Hey all, Brett here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Monster Porn. If you like what you hear, first, consult your exorcist, and second, subscribe to stay on top of our regular episodes, which come out every other Monday. Please rate and review on iTunes. It only takes a minute and it helps us out a great deal. We're still open for bonus episode submissions. If you have what it takes, please consult our guidelines at our website, monsterpornpodcast.com forward slash submissions. And lastly, are you a musician or songwriter interested in getting your music on Monster Porn? Contact us at info at monsterpornpodcast.com. We'll see you next time. Be that with the natural eyes or the unnatural. Until then, tentacle hugs, stay weird, and Godspeed, strange cowboy. So began the new era of monster porn. Oh, shit. So began a new era. God. (laughs) So began a new era. God, era, era for. Puggles is forever. Puggles is my rock. Puggles does not change day to day, but remains forever. (laughs) (laughs) That was so weird. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Did it work? I don't know if we should do that one or not. <laughs>